tonight's reading is from Mark 5, verses 21 through 35. And when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him, and he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. And he went with him. And a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. And there was a woman who had had a discharge of blood for 12 years and who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had and was no better but rather grew worse. She had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she, for she said, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing around you, and yet you say, who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. While he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house some who said, your daughter is dead, why trouble the teacher any further? This is the reading of the word. Please be seated. Good evening. My name is Jason, staff pastor here at Grace. We're glad you're worshiping with us tonight. At this time, the kids are dismissed. Preschool, you will see an orange sign back there with Ellie. And then Nikki has a blue sign over there for elementary. The kids will join us again at the end of the service. But kids, you can head on down to your class want to give you uh, some options and some ways to get connected here at Grace. We want to be a group of people that really knows one another and forms a biblical community together. So uh, a couple of ways that you can do that. The first one, here we go. Uh, The first one is to click on this QR code and you'll see you'll have four different options you can fill out there. Um, If you want to get connected here or sign up to serve or share a prayer request with us or sign up to give financially, then that is how you do it. Um, Next week, you'll have a tangible way to get connected as well as we will have a a meal after the service. So right after the service, we'll roll out some round tables and we will eat a meal together. Um, Our community group uh, that we lead with John and Haley is going to be providing the food. So I can give you a sneak peek on the menu. The menu is pulled pork and chips, and cookies. So that's what you can uh, get ready for next week after the service. The reason we do that is, well, people are hungry after church. If you're like me and you forgot your snack before church, your stomach is grumbling right now. Um, So people are hungry, but it's also a great way to get to know one another and break bread together. So plan on joining us after the service next week for a meal. Tonight's scripture, as we continue to go through the book of Mark, asks us the question, what do we do with suffering? What do we do with suffering? Whether we're talking about personal suffering that we've been through or those close to us have been through, or whether we're talking about war and rumors of war. What do we do with suffering? What do we do with suffering on a a small intimate scale or on a much larger global scale? 
What do we do with news of invasions and terrorism and land wars and holy wars that have gone on for centuries? What do we do with our own suffering or someone we love suffering that just keeps going and we just keep having to endure? In the 1900s, uh, just a few decades ago, there was a book that came out by a Jewish rabbi, uh, Rabbi Kushner. And that book is called When Bad Things Happen to Good People. And he had a quote in that book. It was about uh, basically his thoughts on suffering. And before I give this quote, I want to point out that this is not the Orthodox Jewish teaching on suffering. This is his personal take on suffering. This is neither Orthodox Judaism or modern Judaism or Messianic Judaism or any other Judaism's official take on suffering. But here is what Rabbi Kushner said in his famous book, When Bad Things Happen to Good People. When I went through suffering, and he went through his own personal loss of his son dying at a young age, if I had to face the fact that God was either all-powerful, but he wasn't kind and just allowed bad things to happen, or he is thoroughly kind and loving, but he is not powerful enough to do anything about it, I would rather compromise God's power and affirm his love. The place that Rabbi Kushner landed was, I can't conceive of a God that is not kind and loving, so I am going to picture him and I am going to decide with my own personal suffering and the suffering I see in the world that God is loving and is kind, but he is powerless to do anything about my suffering. He was powerless to save my son. He's powerless to do uh, anything with suffering on a small, intimate scale or on a global scale. If you're like me, you find this a deeply unsatisfying picture of God. I have good news for you tonight. The book of Mark shows us tonight who Jesus is. And while we don't get a complex philosophical treatise on suffering, we see Jesus, the God-man, fully God, fully man, show us God's view of suffering and that he is, in fact, what we just sang He is strong and he is kind. Would you pray with me as we open the scriptures together? Heavenly Father, we ask you to show us wonderful things in your word. We pray that you would continue to show yourself to us. God, we declare tonight this is our Father's world. We bank on the promise that yes, Jesus loves us. And God, help us to see that you are indeed strong and kind. We pray that we would see you clearly tonight and hear from your scriptures exactly what you would have for each one of us. Spirit, we pray that you would speak very personally here tonight to each one. We pray that you would speak to the children in the nursery, the kids in the preschool, the kids in the elementary school. We pray that you would speak to each one of us in this place tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you turn with me to Mark chapter 5, we're going to look at verses 21 through 35, which Maggie read for us, and then we're going to continue on through the end of the chapter. It's really one story that needs to be read together. I just didn't want to put Maggie through reading all of that. So we're going to summarize what Maggie read, and then we're going to read the rest of the chapter, and we're going to see this powerful picture of Jesus, strong and kind. So we read in Mark 5, verse 21, Jesus had crossed again in his boat to the other side. If you remember back to last week, if you weren't able to listen to uh, last week's sermon um, on the podcast or on our website, that's because my mic broke and we weren't able to use it. So sorry you missed on that one. I can come to your house and give you the full version if you would like, if you feed me. So um, 
that's not on, on record, so I'll walk you through it here quickly in case you missed it. But Jesus went from uh, the area where he was usually at in Galilee and in Jerusalem and in the place where the Jews, the Jewish people group was, they went across the Sea of Galilee to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, and that was on the east. And in that area, they confronted people that were loosely in the Roman Empire, but were Gentiles and were even thought of as barbarians, where Jews, Roman Empire, people that belonged to the Roman Empire, civilized people did not go over to these 10 cities on the other side of the sea. But Jesus does, and he's confronted with this great uh, possession where this man is possessed by legions, thousands of demons, and Jesus casts them out. This is what we learned about last week. So when we pick up the story in Mark 5, 21, he had crossed back over to the west where there was the large group of Jews. They're in the Roman Empire. They're in Jerusalem. He's back on the west side of the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, this man named Jairus. This man named Jairus is a ruler of the synagogue. There were two main leadership roles in the synagogue in the first century. One was the priest and one was the ruler of the synagogue. The priest did the offerings to God, the intercession for the people, the promises of atonement and the assurance for the people. The ruler kept the lights on. The ruler made sure that the sacrifices were there, that the the priest needed to make the sacrifices for the people. The ruler led the daily operations of the temple. So that's who we're talking about here. We see that he comes, he sees Jesus, and he falls at his feet, and he implored him earnestly. There's urgency in his voice because his daughter is dying. As we've been studying the book of Mark, we've seen there are fans of Jesus and there are followers of Jesus. We aren't told which this ruler is. It could be either way. He's just a fan of Jesus. He's heard of his fame. He's heard of the miracles he's done. He heard about whatever happened on the east side of the Sea of Galilee. Or he could be a follower of Jesus. We don't know. But in this moment, he earnestly implores Jesus to heal his little daughter. There's an urgency. It says in verse 24, Jesus went with him. And then a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. This word thronged is uh, a weird word, and it's kind of ethereal and hard for us to put our head around. Maybe you're not even familiar with this word. When we hear a throng, we think, okay, large group of people. When we study the Greek word for thronged, what we really get is gripped. Gripped. People gripped around him. And this Greek word, the root of this Greek word, is always used as a negative And there's always physical, like, violence. Not like trying to hurt someone, but there's like a physical nature to what's going on. There is literally a crowd of people all around him where people are bumping shoulders with one another. I don't know if you're like me, but you might like to keep like an arm's distance from people. Uh, I don't have a huge bubble. As many of you know, I am a hugger. I like to hug. But when I'm in a group of people, this, this is good. I'm good with this. I need to be able to move like this. I, I don't need to be squeezed in like this. Took my boys to a Hawkeye football game this year. And something interesting, I love the Kinnick Stadium. It's great. It's a great experience watching a football game there. But they keep adding seats, but they don't add concourses or entrances. I don't know if you've noticed this. So uh, we had a lightning delay 
when we were at this game. I don't know if you remember this. It was against one of the Michigan directional schools. But um, there was lightning that we never saw. And there was never rain, but they had a delay. And so at this really random time in the game, everyone had to leave their seats. And we went in the concourse. So we're all just standing there shoulder to shoulder. And then everyone was let back in at the same time. And I'm trying to keep track of my kids, all four of my boys. And we're just walking like this. I'm like, okay, got this one, got this one, got this one, got this one. And then everyone is bottlenecked and going up the ramp at the same time. Finally, this guy decided to play fullback for me and he just blocked the crowd because he saw I had children. Children are a great way to get through a crowd. He blocked everybody else so we could just like sneak around the corner and then we were stuck like this in the ramp. We're like, the game's up there. I don't know how long it's going to be, but we're stuck. That's a throng of people. That's where Jesus is. There's a throng around him. And then this woman who has suffered greatly. This woman who is unclean. She's unclean because of this bleeding that is taking place. Leviticus 12 uh, taught in the book of Leviticus, when we look back at the Old Testament law, that a woman whether she was doing her during her menstrual cycle or after she has had a baby, she is deemed unclean, which is, seems so backwards and so hard for us to understand. But God made a way in Leviticus 12 for her to be purified even during that time. But they were, women were considered unclean. And this woman has been bleeding, not just on a monthly cycle or a regular cycle, but consistently for 12 years years. And she had suffered much. It says she'd suffered much at the hand of many doctors. That's stark and that should catch us, but in the Greek it's even more profoundly put and it's put as a double where it literally reads she had suffered many much. She had suffered two words back to back that say many. She had suffered greatly. She had suffered for length of time, but she had also suffered by going to people that were supposed to help and they didn't help. What is more frustrating than going where you think you can get help and you get no help? And then for her, it was even worse. She got worse. It is not uncommon in the first century for the things that the physicians tried to do to make someone better were actually making them worse. And that's what this woman is experiencing. She is suffering many and much. They didn't make it better. When you go through a chronic illness, when you've been ill for any length of time, you vacillate between being completely apathetic about doing anything about it and wanting to go to the doctor and someone tell you you're dying. You really want someone to give you the worst because you just want to know what's wrong with you and you want to know when it's going to get better on this side or that side of eternity. And this woman is at this place. Verses 27 and 28 says she had heard reports about Jesus And so she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. She came in faith. 
She'd heard reports that Jesus could heal her, and then she obeyed, and she stepped out in that faith, and she touched Jesus, and it says she was immediately healed. Mark's favorite word, immediately. He uses it for all kinds of things. Here he uses it for this woman. She is immediately healed, touching the garment of Jesus. And Jesus responds, who touched me? We read in one of the other gospel accounts, he knows that power has left him because someone touched him. And the disciples' response is, who isn't touching you, Jesus? There's a throng of people around. If I'm holding my boy's hand back here, back here, the two older boys, they could fend for themselves. They'll figure it out. But if I'm holding the two younger boys' hands and we're walking and one of them goes, daddy, who touched me? Everyone touched you. It was someone with a Hawkeye jersey on. I don't know. Someone in black or gold touched you. The disciples say, Jesus, everyone is touching you. What are you talking about? Verse 32. And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her daughter, Your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. The woman is healed. It says immediately she knew she was healed, but now she's afraid. What is she afraid of? I submit to you two things that are not from some scholarly investigation or knowing the original Greek, but just from the plain reading of the text. One, if someone has that kind of power, it's also terrifying. That's why Jesus keeps doing these amazing things, and there's a certain group of people that are just terrified at the amazing power that they see. So no one else could heal her, and physicians had made it nothing but worse, and then in a moment she's healed. She had faith that she would be healed, but when she was healed, she was terrified. She was afraid. That's reason number one. Reason number two I think she was afraid that she had made Jesus unclean. She had made Jesus. She was afraid, I've now made Jesus. He healed me. He must be powerful. Maybe he's God, like some people are saying. And now I've touched him and I'm unclean. Jesus says to her, your faith has made you well. He says to her, you are now well. But he also says, you will continue to be well. This isn't temporary. It's not like those other doctors who made you feel better in the moment. You are healed for good. And then he says to her, go in shalom. Go in shalom. The Jewish word for peace, but not just peace or the absence of conflict. The word for on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus restores this woman and gives her a future, a little foretaste of the resurrection power to come. So let's recap. Jesus is approached and implored earnestly by this man, this ruler of the synagogue that says, my little daughter is to the point of death. She's dying. Come right away. Jesus goes with her and then We see the throng of people around Jesus as he's trying to make his way quickly. This is an earnest situation. He's trying to go quickly to save this girl. And then there's this whole story that we've been talking about with the woman that touches the hem of his garment. Let's pick up the story in verse 35. 
while he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house some who said, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? Jesus took too long. Don't trouble the teacher anymore. It's too late. She was dying and now she's dead. He didn't get there in time. Great miracle for the woman who touched his garment. Devastating for Jairus and his family. I don't know about you, but as I look back at my life, I see time and time and time again that out of Jesus' great power and goodness, he has always given me what I needed and more. He has been so kind and blessed me so much and provided me with everything I need and more, and he's never been on time. It's never been when I asked for it. It's never been when I expected it. It's never been when I wanted it. It hasn't looked like I thought it would look. Always good, always provides, never on my time. It's like he won't give me the satisfaction. Every time I plan something that is time dependent, God's like, that's funny. Just watch. I'm going to give you more than you asked for, but it's not going to be on your calendar, bucko. That's in the Greek. (laughs) Verse 36. But overhearing what they said, but overhearing what they said first, one of the greatest words in the Bible, but. It seems that Jesus is too late. It seems that Jesus took his sweet time healing this other woman just to let Jairus' daughter die. But overhearing what they said, overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, do not fear, only believe. And he allowed no one to follow him except Peter and James, John, the brother of James, They came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue and Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. He says here, do not fear, only believe. Believe what? Believe what? She's dead. I would have understood this. This would be so easy to understand if at the very beginning, Jesus just said, just believe me. And Jairus's Jairus would have said, okay, I believe you. That's why I'm asking you. Now let's go. Let's get a move on. Let's go heal my daughter. But now, after he has taken his time, after she has died, he says, fear not, just believe. It is clear in this passage and also Luke's account of the same story that this girl is not simply sleeping, but is dead. There's two ways that we know this. In Luke, it says her spirit had left her body. Her spirit had left her body. And then we see the weeping and wailing that is taking place. This is something that Jews and people in the Jewish community would do after someone was dead. You intercede, and then they die, and you weep and wail. That's the journey of death and mourning. That's how it works. But Jesus says... Do not fear, only believe. Verse 39, and when he had entered, he said to them, why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. 
and they laughed at him. They laughed at him. Jesus saying that this girl was sleeping is the Jewish phrasing and belief in what death actually is. That it is temporary. That it is sleeping. You expect to fall asleep and then wake up and put your kid down for a nap and then they wake up. This is the Jewish understanding of death. They call it sleeping. That's what Jesus is saying. He's reminding them of what they already know. That all death is temporary. All death is temporary. Because one day there will be an awakening, a resurrection. There will be a resurrection. And this is a foretaste of it. And he's saying, why are you mourning? She's just asleep. She will rise again just like you will. And watch, I'm going to show you that I have the power to do it. But he put them all outside. And he took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was. Taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha kumi, which means little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately, immediately, the girl got up and began walking, for she was 12 years of age. And they were immediately overcome with amazement. And he strictly charged them that no one should know this and told them to give her something to eat. Jesus has the power with his words, with his breath, to give life, to create everything we see. We looked at last week in Colossians, all things are made by him, through him, and for him, and there is nothing that we see, nothing that has been made that was not made by him and for him. Jesus, with his word of, the word of his mouth, has the ability to take what is dead and make it alive, to take what was sleeping and make it awake, to heal Jesus has the power to give life with the very word of his mouth. So, what do we learn from this dramatic story and this dramatic exchange? First, that Jesus is kind. Jesus is kind. Note the tenderness. That he loves this little girl, that he loves this woman. Note how he doesn't scold the woman for touching him while she was unclean. Note that Jesus is willing to even touch the dead, which we learned last week makes you unclean. Jesus is tender. Jesus is knowing. He feels power leave him. Jesus is kind. He is specific. He is careful. He is tender and gentle in his love towards his children, those made in his image. He is kind. He tells his people they're never alone. And he'll be with them even to the end of the age as they look to carry out the mission that he's called them to. We're going to talk all about that next week. He says to the disciples, I am with you always to the end of the age. That means he's with you and me today. And he's tender and he is kind. And a throng of people kindness was not at the top of my priority list. I wasn't a jerk about it, but kindness wasn't at the top of the characteristics I was looking for. I was looking at keep my kids alive and get back to where we need to go. In a throng of people, as Jesus is being hurried off to raise the dead, he notices 
when power leaves him, in his kindness and in his tenderness, he offers healing, purification, and power to this woman who had known nothing but many, much suffering. So Jesus is kind. Jesus is also strong. Jesus is strong. That's exactly what we're saying here tonight. It's exactly what we see in this passage. Jesus is strong. Faith is not just believing that the situation will get better if we just believe hard enough. Faith is believing that there is a kind and powerful God that can do anything in us and through us. Jesus says, after this girl has already died, do not fear, just believe. Just believe. He is powerful. We focus on the size of our faith. We focus on the size of our theological capability. We bank on our own experiences, what we've currently already seen God do. And we don't remember how powerful he is. Here's the thing. We need Jesus to be strong and kind over first our sin. We need Jesus who is able to be a great high priest who sympathizes with weakness, though is tempted in every way, but is without sin. That's what we need. A high priest in the Old Testament and up until the time of Jesus, their role was to intercede on behalf of the people. But they were, it was always a broken system. That's what Hebrews tells us. It was a broken system. It was a shadow system because it was based on man. And anything based on man is sinful and faulty and broken down. And the priests didn't always do what they were supposed to do. And the people often didn't do what they were supposed to do. We read Jesus is our great high priest who's able to sympathize with our weakness. We need Jesus who sympathizes what it means to be tempted to the point of tears and agony. We need Jesus to understand what it looks like to be tempted or to live in a culture that doesn't value the things of God. We need Jesus to empathize with our disappointment, our family drama, our weakness. But we also need the Jesus that is strong, that takes that kindness and takes up his cross and walks all the way to his very excruciating death. We need Jesus to be strong and kind over our sin. We also need a Jesus that is strong and kind over and through our suffering. This is the only thing that has gotten me through prolonged seasons of suffering is knowing that Jesus is kind and that he is strong, even though I don't understand in the moment what he is doing. And when I was going through the worst of Lyme disease 13 years ago, he kept telling me, I'm kind and I'm strong. I wanted him to heal me or tell me the day I would be healed or just take me to heaven. And he said, I'm kind and I'm strong. That's what allowed me to trust him. That's what built my faith is knowing that he is strong and kind. In Revelation, at the end of all things, Jesus is described as the champion, the hero of heaven. And he is described in the same passage as the lion and the lamb. In Revelation 5, it says that he is the lion and the lamb. And then it goes on in verses 12 and 13 of Revelation 5 to say, saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slain 
to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. When we struggle, when we suffer, when things seem bleak, when Jesus asks us to have faith, we need to picture our lion and our lamb. The lamb who lays down his life to take on the sins of the world, to offer us our redemption and any hope of righteousness. We need that lamb, but we also need a lion. The lion of Judah, the king of all kings, the one who conquers kingdoms and melts the earth when he utters his voice. We need a lion and a lamb. Lastly, when we follow Jesus, we are strong and kind. When we see that Jesus is strong and kind, we should become people that are strong and kind. And that's exactly what our world needs right now, is people that are strong and kind. We see war once again in the Middle East. We hear rumors of wars in other places. We see changing attitudes towards church. We see changing attitudes towards authority. We may find ourselves feeling more and more politically homeless. We live in a we lived through a worldwide pandemic that has now led to a local loneliness epidemic. The world needs people that are strong and kind. Christians Jesus followers, temples of the Holy Spirit are the only ones that have what it takes to be strong and kind. And we must be strong and kind. When we look to Jesus, the God-man, we see both the lion and the lamb. We see the God who notices when an unclean woman touches his cloak and also he can bring back the dead. We need Jesus strong and kind. Kindness in our world is a lost necessity. We have to, to be human, but it's lost in our culture. Strength is needed to live a biblical life and not cow to the world's culture or to any church culture that doesn't display the strength and kindness of Jesus. Kindness is needed to empathize and care for those who are on the margins. Strength is needed to pray the demons out of those who are consumed with darkness. We need a Jesus that is strong and kind because for some of us, strength is easier. And for some of us, kindness is easier. And if you're like me, you have trouble getting the right one in the right time. Sometimes I'm a lion. Sometimes I'm a lamb. Sometimes I'm strong, sometimes I'm kind, but it's a roller coaster and sometimes I get it wrong. When my kids need kindness, I'm a lion. When my wife needs me to be a lion, I shrink back. We need Jesus, strong and kind. As we move forward as a church, as we talk about benchmarks for growth and going off on our own and being an independent church and be starting over as a church plant in a number of ways, we have to realize we don't have what it takes. We need Jesus who is strong and kind and we need to be strong and kind if we want to be a part of anything that will last. 
fittingly, we're going to end tonight by singing about the kindness and the sweetness of Jesus. And as we do and as we leave this place tonight, I want to ask you the question, where do you need Jesus strong and kind in your life? Our temptation is to think about, well, where do I need his strength and where do I need his kindness? We need both for everything. We need both for everything. We need his kindness where he empathizes with us and listens to us and knows us and knows our name. And we need his strength. We need to be able to pray in his mighty name. We need his spirit's indwelling. We need his spirit's help. We have enemies that are after us in the spiritual world. We live in a culture that does not celebrate us following Jesus. We need Jesus strong and kind for everything. Would you stand with me? I'm going to pray for us and we're going to sing another song together to worship Jesus strong and kind. Jesus, thank you that you have been so strong and kind for each of us. Spirit, we recognize your presence here reminding us of the strength and the kindness of our Heavenly Father. Jesus, thank you that when we get it all wrong, you got it right. And in your kindness and in your strength, you bore our cross. You scorned its shame. You rose again, and then you sat down at the right hand of the Father. Jesus, thank you that you're the hero of heaven. Jesus, thank you that you are the lamb who was slain and the lion who sits on a throne forever. Jesus, your name is sweet. Jesus, you are strong and kind.